Our first reading is from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 4, starting to read at verse 13, and you can find it on page 1096. So 2 Corinthians 4, uh, starting at verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, here I am. Take me and use me for the glory of your name. Amen. I was in uh, Canterbury yesterday morning, uh, very early, because uh, I was one of a number of people collecting for the Multiple Sclerosis Society. I'd taken a garden chair with me so that I could uh, sit down, and uh, sat down, found it was pretty cold, so glad I'd also taken a coat with me. It had got so cold that I'd even put my gloves on. And uh, during the morning, uh, a young woman, I suspect may have been a, 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 um, a student, uh, trying to earn a few, uh, a bit of money for the, the, the morning of the day, came up to me and offered me a voucher. It was a voucher to go to Specsavers and get uh, an eye test at half price. So I said to her, well, I actually can get a free eye test if I want one. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't think you were over 60. <laughs> With that, I suddenly felt very warm inside. <laughs> And I said to her, well, thank you for the flattery. I really appreciate that. I said, but I'm actually 86 years of age. And she said, no, you, you can't possibly be. So I said, well, when you're getting rid of your vouchers, make sure you keep one for yourself, because I think you're going to need it. <laughs> and, and she laughed and walked away. I've mentioned that uh, little story because um, I'm supposed to be speaking this morning on the subject of looking at the unseen. 
And that young lady obviously hadn't looked at me closely enough to realise that I'm actually a lot older than she thought I was. More to the point, I still haven't worked out why the title, Looking at the Unseen, fits into either our readings this morning. Although I'm going to be speaking about the Corinthian passage, because it follows directly on from the same epistle and chapter that M spoke on last Sunday, I have been struggling, and I know she was struggling last week, or at least before she actually preached the sermon, I've been struggling in the preparation of it. So, I have come to the conclusion from reading the passage that I could actually just give you one sentence and then sit down. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. But the one sentence... But the one sentence is, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And, and that won't happen all the time I live here on this earth. And that's the, the conclusion that Paul came to also. But before we examine today's Corinthian passage more closely, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Because here is the passage which tells us about Paul's first visit to Corinth. And if you look at verse 4, we, it tells us why he was there. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. What is he trying to persuade them? He's trying to persuade them to understand and accept the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there he is, preaching the gospel week after week. And how was the message received? Well, look at verse 6. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive... He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. And he turns from preaching exclu almost exclusively to the Jews uh, to preaching to the Gentiles. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, there it is. What does he find? Abuse. Opposition. That was the reaction that he got. But then, when we move down to verse 9, we discover that he's not discouraged. One, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to harm you. That must have cheered him up somewhat. I know I would have been. And we'd come back to that a little later on. 
So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year, as we read a little bit further on in that chapter. And he went on preaching, despite the opposition. And one of the things the Jews challenged him about was his right to be doing what he was doing. They questioned his authority, his leadership. They did the best to discredit him whenever they got the opportunity. And we find in today's world there are many, many people who, who try to discredit the gospel and each and every opportunity they get. They knock the church continually and it's not helped by the media. Paul, however, is determined to keep contact with the church in Corinth. And so does so by writing them letters. And it is believed that he wrote at least four. We only have two, but he probably wrote four or even more to them. Because despite what was happening to him, he knew that those that were going on in the faith needed to be encouraged. They needed to be built up. And that's what we're here for this morning, to encourage one another, to build one another up in our faith. So now, turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the reading for this morning, look at verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. It is written where? It's written in the Psalms. He quotes from a psalm. And he reminds them that it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And he tells them, with the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Put another way, opposition or not, Paul let nothing stop him giving testimony to his life in Christ. Sometimes the consequences were beatings, imprisonment, abuse, and dangers of many kinds. But nothing and no one could shut him up. And friends, don't let anybody shut you up from preaching the gospel. Carry on, whatever the consequences, because your reward is in heaven. Surely each one of us here this morning has a testimony to give the greatness and goodness of God in our lives. We need, we too need to be speaking out what we believe about God as a result of his working in and through our lives. Knowing and believing, as St. Paul did, that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us in his presence. So, my friends, when we are feeling fearful about speaking out what we believe, then we should remember three things. The first goes back to Acts chapter 18. Do
Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to harm you. We need to step out in faith and give our testimony at each and every opportunity we get. Secondly, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, we read about the grace of God. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people. Why do we need to do this? We want the grace of God to reach more and more people. There are thousands of people in Whitstable alone who do know nothing about the grace of God. They don't understand it. And we've got to help them to understand it and to believe it. In this very letter of 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what the Lord had reminded him when he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So however weak you feel and incapable of giving your testimony, remember God is with you, and it's by his grace that you can speak out, that his grace is sufficient. It's more than enough to do the job. When we had the third age lunch on Friday, which uh, Lynn Newman prepared and cooked, there was sufficient for all of us. I actually want to know what she did with all the spare mashed potato that was over, because I love mashed potato. There <laughs> was more than enough, because we had seconds, most of us. There was more than enough. But with God's grace, it's a bit like that, but with an uncountable number of helpings. God's grace is sufficient for us to do the work which God wants us to do. And the third thing is to remember our speaking out of what we believe causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Just think of that. Wow! Causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Last Sunday morning, the kitchen flooded, as Mike will tell you and uh, one or two other people. The kitchen here. We came in and there was two inches of water right across the floor and we had to set to and get it out. Now, I love water, <laughs> but this water was in the wrong place. We didn't want it on the floor. We had to get rid of it. So it was flowing where it was not wanted. But the grace of God is, is quite the opposite. The very opposite of an overflow of thanksgiving that brings glory to God. I long to see the grace of God overflowing more and more and more and more and more and more in this place. Do you share that vision? 
It's all very well having a new vicar, but if we don't have any vision, then his wife, he or she might as well not come. We need together to work, to see the grace of God in operation in this place more and more and more. And Paul goes on to say he does not lose heart because while afflictions affect him outwardly, inwardly he is renewed. How often? Once a week? Sundays? In the synagogue? No, he says day by day. Day by day. He's learning the lesson of this life. That it is to, that we are being prepared for the life to come. The new life. The eternal life. Or as he puts it, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Or what is seen is Temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Paul recognizes that whatever he is exposed to in this life, persecution and suffering of all sorts of kinds, the danger he faces, etc., it's all there for a purpose. It's all there for a purpose. Just as everything we have to face and go through at any time has a purpose. We often question the purpose. But it's at that moment when we need to rely on God more and more and more and say, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand why God's putting me through this. But I am trusting him to bring me through and to bring me to glory. It is to teach us to rely more and more and more on him. Because that's what faith is. If, if life was all one wonderful time, we, 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 we'd all very quickly get into the situation and say, I don't need God, I can manage. Everything's okay. Uh, and, and God has to say to us, oh no, you can't. Oh, no, you can't. You need me. And only through me and by my grace will you come through. And I'll bring you through because the best is yet to come. The present world, including the outer nature of, of the Christian, is subject to decay or corruption. We can all vouch for that as we get older, can't we? We can vouch for that. The pains we get more and more, aches and pains and all sorts of things. Physically, you know, your teeth fall out and you can't see and your hearing goes and, uh, and, and so on. And, and it seems to get worse and worse. You just wonder how worse it, bad it can get. But, but there's the, 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 even a purpose for that. There's even a purpose for that. It's to help us to realise that the best 
is yet to come. The world which is to come, including the glorious resurrection body of believers, is on the other hand eternal and incorruptible. In another letter of Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians, we read, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. God is in control, and you better believe it. Donald Trump may think he is, but I tell you he isn't. Nor is Theresa May, nor is Putin, nor any other world leaders. God is in control. And to continue that verse, that Jesus will bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? It just gets better and better. Paul, by trade or profession, was a tent maker. So in chapter 5 and verse 1, he writes about an earthly tent. And it's used here figuratively to refer to the human body. Whilst the earthly tent, as he calls it, the human body is destroyed by death, only this week a lady said to me, oh, we've all got to go sometimes. And she's absolutely right. We can't avoid it. But where we're going makes all the difference. And we Christians know where we're going. We know where we are going. God provides us with an eternal house in heaven. The resurrection body promised to the believer. Not only is the best yet to come, but we will move into a home where we will never have to move again. I don't know how many times you in your lifetime have moved house, but I hate it. All the packing up, sorting out, wondering what's going to fit where in the new house, whether you want it, whether you don't. Stressful, beyond words. But one day, you will move into a new home where you will never have to move again. Yippee! Think of poor Fabian and Vashti packing up to move. I don't envy them one bit. I bet they wish they could just wake up and find themselves in Taunton and all the house sorted out. But right now, we all live in temporary accommodation. All of us. So don't get too comfortable. At all times, be prepared that the final home is, move, is to a home not built by human hands. Imagine it. No redecorating to do. Imagine it. No repairs to cope with. Imagine it. No plumbing to go wrong. 
Imagine it. No insurance payment to find every year. Imagine it. No curtains and carpets and, and furniture to replace from time to time. No cleaning. No cleaning to do. No cleaning. A building from God. An eternal house in heaven. Oh, and by the way, they'll be friendly neighbours. They'll all be friendly neighbours. They'll all be friendly neighbours. They may be a bit noisy because we will all be there praising God. What a difference. What a difference. There will be no more death no more mourning or crying or pain. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? Maybe just one slight disappointment. There will be no more sea. That's what it tells us in Revelation. I'm not making it up. What it tells us in Revelation. But there will be something better. There will be a river of life as clear as crystal. So just imagine that. No plastics, no pollution. As clear as crystal. Imagine it. The river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city of God. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. Because it's going to be so different from this life. But it's going to be so much more wonderful. Yeah, I told you, the best is yet to come. Amen.